Well, this morning we are, I'm uh, thinking about and honoring our graduates. Um, we have four, two are able to be here and two are not, so half, half not so bad, you know, so we're grateful for that. So if you think about it uh, as, a, as a minister, you know, what are you going to say that's going to make a difference? You know, <clears throat> and, you, and you, often I think of that every week. You know, what are you going to say, what are you going to do that's going to make a difference? Well, I'm going to let you know you two guys are in for a real treat today. <laughs> and I can just imagine what you're thinking now. I, you know, embarrassment is fine by me. I embarrass you. That's what I mean, you know. So, uh, but we're grateful for that. We're glad you're here. Don't worry. It will, be, it will not be painful. So anyhow, life has always been challenging. Life is always changing. And you know, if you don't think life changes, look at your first grade picture. <laughs> You've come a long way from that time to this. And you never imagined that there would be a day that you would end up being a graduate from school, high school. So we're, you know, these, these things come, and, you know, you wait long enough and uh, they're here. So, so what can I give you? What kind of impression can I give you that will hopefully be with you? So today I have three, three things we're going to do. And I can... I know they're just going to be earth-shattering, and they're going to be just, your whole world is going to revolve around and be changed. Amen. Thank you very much. I was waiting for that, you know, so I can see you're smiling with anticipation. So I'm going to share some, uh, two stories, basically, and uh, the first story is that of Esther, and um, for, and Kira was to be here, but she got, she's sick. So Kira, if you're watching, which I think you are, hello, God bless you, get better, come back to church as soon as possible. So, so Esther lived during the time of the Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, they ruled the entire world at that time from about 539 to 331 B.C. But during that time period, there was this lady uh, called Esther. Now, what happened was the king was throwing this great party. Now, what I mean by a great party, the, the kingdom of Persia was divided into 127 provinces. It went from China, clear over to, you know, around, down through um, the Palestine into North Africa. So it was the then known world, and 127 provinces were there. All the governors and leaders were all at this banquet. So this is a, a massive banquet, and you would think, well, what are they having a big party for? Well, Generally, these parties, these gatherings lasted months, but uh, they were there to plan. The king had them all there, and they were going to plan their next military campaign. So, but you would never think that because of the drunken brawl that they were in. Not a brawl, but a drunken time that they had together. So anyhow, the king orders Vashti, his queen, to come uh, before them. Well, Vashti is, she says, no. <laughs> I'm not, cool. I'm not going before you. And in reality, there's a couple of things I remember when we did the study on um, Esther that Vashti was, she was, perhaps she was pregnant with uh, the Xerxes' son that would be later king. Or, but anyhow, these guys have been drinking for a week and she says, I'm not coming and presenting myself between, for a whole room full of drunken men. Yeah, so... I think ladies could understand that. So anyhow, when she refused, these wonderful advisors of the king says, we can't, you can't have a woman say she's not coming. What's going to happen to our wives? 
if they hear that the king said no. <laughs> so what did they decide to do? Banish her. <laughs> and we're going to have a new queen. So how are we going to elect a new queen? Well, let's have a beauty contest. <laughs> the, the, tr the problem, or the problem, I guess, would be that they, they put out a decree for the whole province, and they were putting this, you know, the, from this whole empire, and the people of the provinces were to select their most beautiful individual and send them to the, the, the king, to Sushai, and uh, to the king's palace. So they get to the palace, and Esther is one of the ones who's drafted into this position. Now, okay, what it, what's this have to do with uh, graduation? Well, there's a beauty contest that I want you two guys to enter in after the... No, that's not true. <laughs> so, he's still worried about what am I going to... Who's he going to have me do? Well, anyhow. In life, how, how does someone go from being a common, ordinary person to being queen of an empire? See, in our life, there are things that happen that we have no control over, but natural events take place in the circumstances. This would have never happened had Queen Vashti did what the king wanted, just put the crown on and get dressed and go before these drunken people, and there would have been no problem. But here, the events of life changed it around to the point that she is drafted into this position of being in this beauty contest, and for some of you ladies, you might want to know that it took them 12 months to prepare. And she had seven women waiting on her. So ladies, I don't know if you sign up for that or not, but uh, seven women to take care of you, and you would be perfumed and pampered and everything that you could. So to prepare for this one event of going in before the king. Well, she became all, you know, she's all prepared, and she goes in, and amongst all the others that were in this contest, the king preferred her above everyone else because she had, and not only was she beautiful, but she had a character, she had an aura about her, an air about her that set her apart from everybody else. And she was a beautiful person in her character and in her you know, personage and what, how she conducted herself, and she became the one who was chosen by queen, King Xerxes to, to be queen. Well, that all sounds pretty good, pretty easy. You know, nothing bad's happened. Well, behind the scene. This is almost like one of those dating shows, you know? <laughs> you got, never mind. I don't watch them. But um, there's this guy... Haman, and I always refer to Haman and um, Mordecai. Mordecai is the cousin of Esther. Mordecai is the guy who raised Esther because Esther's parents were killed. So she is raised by her cousin. So she's already had disastrous things happen in her life. She's not in Palestine. She's been relocated from her home and placed in this foreign country under, under the protection of her cousin. So that's where she's living. Well, in this whole process, there's another guy named Haman. And Haman hates the Jewish people. And there's a whole long history, but we won't get into that because I know you want to go home before two. And so, <laughs> so Haman hates the Jewish people. 
And he is second in command underneath the king. And so underneath the king's command, he goes in and he says, you know, there's these group of people that are just off by themselves. They don't, they don't listen to what the king has to say. And, you know, I, I think we should do something about it. And the king says, here's my ring. You have it. The signet ring of the king means it's law. So Haman writes up a law that they are able to kill all Jews in the, in the Persian Empire, which includes Palestine, nation of Israel, and so on. So this guy is trying to exterminate the entire Jewish population on one day. How he does it is he passes a law that anyone can, con- can kill a-, a Jewish individual on a certain day and confiscate their wealth. It'll all be yours. <laughs> so that sounds like a big, you know, a really good idea that we're going we're gonna to do this. And it goes out. Well, this is where the plot is, uh, thickens, I think, because Mordecai, the uncle, hears about it. And he goes to Queen Esther, and he tells her that she has to do something. She has to do something about it. She's the only one in the entire nation who can protect all of the people of Israel and and do something about this. Well, Esther is saying, I can't. If you go in, it's law, if you go in to see the king without his invitation, you're dead. (laughs) That's right, you're dead. (laughs) And so you die because you walked into the king, even though she's queen. She would die without an invitation. So what happens is, she she and Mordecai, her her cousin, she says in, in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, this is Mordecai speaking to her, and he says, if you remain completely silent and uh, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. That's the point. That who knows whether you have come to the kingdom of God. Who knows whether you are graduating at this very time for such a time as this in your life and the life of those around you and in the nation and, you know, the whole scheme of things. Because, well, let's say, in the whole nation, you say, hey, I'm from Richland and Wimber. <laughs> I'm all the whole nation. She's a deported Jewish lady from a community that has been conquered by um, the, the emperor and brought back to Susa, and she's in a beauty contest and wins. How does someone from that become this? So what happens is she goes in before the king, walks in, she gets in her best robes and has everybody pray, and she goes in before the king and tells the king what her need is. And she basically saves the people of Israel. Now the challenge is she has to stay together under pressure. Okay? So if my two graduates will come, uh, you, can, you can stand right here. Come on. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, get down here. This is what they've been waiting for. They, came, they signed up for this this morning. They, they signed a release paper saying they will not hold me responsible for anything that would happen. If I could have Robbie and um, Hadley <laughs> come, 
I would like, oh, I've got, I've got gifts for these two. So Rob, uh, Hadley and Robbie, come here. If you would stand up, please. You, these are yours. Stand up, please. Now, here I have our two strongest, youngest people here. And if I would like you to just crush those cans. Ah, good. I want you two to crush the can. What's wrong? <laughs> here are these little guys here, and they just crushed this can without even thinking about it. And here are these two guys. They can't crush the can. And it's even, it's even a can called Crush. And you can't, you can't do it. Okay. You can go back to your seat. You can keep that as a, as a favor. <laughs> yeah, you can be seated. So what's the reason that What's going to keep you together under pressure? We say, well, the, the cap's not loosened. When God is in your life, you are filled to capacity and you are sealed. If you don't have God in your life, you can be crushed by anything. Any, any fluke, any people all the time fall to pray to drugs, alcohol, bad. <laughs> the one thing I tell everyone is you choose your friends. Your friends don't choose you. Because you are the average of your five closest friends. So if your five closest friends are seemingly have a better idea, better approach to life and whatever, you're going to have that same idea. If your friends have this low approach to life, you're in a downward Spiral, get out of that one. But when God is in your life, there is a consistency and there's a strength that you don't think you have, but it's there. But for those who don't have it, they can be crushed by almost anything. You've got to have God in your life. And he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be with you each step of the way. Don't worry, I'm not done yet. The second story is about David. So we find that David also is someone who isn't able to be crushed. <laughs> he isn't able to be crushed by the circumstances. Now, one of the things that happens for David, now sometimes we think, and, and the one idea you find this morning is, Esther isn't a privileged person. She's an ordinary lady who has had a young girl who has had a very hard, hard life. Her nation has been conquered. Her parents are killed. She's been taken to a new country, and she's being raised by her cousin, <laughs> an older cousin. Okay? So she's got a lot going wrong for her. Well, then we think of King David in the Bible. And um, David, <laughs> he's, he's, we think, well, you know, he, here he is. He, he must have been a you know, a privileged kid. And I'd like to read just a little bit. In uh, chapter 16, verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. What happens is Samuel is coming, and God has told him, Samuel the prophet, God told him, Saul, he's king, but he won't listen to me. So God says, I'm withdrawing my, my uh, backing for Saul, and I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint a new king. Well, this was a, 
if the king Saul found out about it, he'd have him killed. So anyhow, Saul goes to the house of Jesse. Um, Jesse has six sons, eight sons. I'll find out as we go on here. I read it, forgot it. Anyhow, he has a number of sons, and so he goes up to Jesse's house, and he says to him, God wants me to anoint one of your sons to be king. The first thing he comes up to is verse 7. This is Samuel. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, oh, wait. Samuel looked at Eliab, and he says, surely the, no the Lord's anointed is before me. He was big, he was good looking, and he was king material. And the prophet says, he's going to be king. And God says, no. Nope. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, you know, it goes through all of the brothers. Now, Jesse, David's father, doesn't even think that David is worth bringing in before the prophet. Because David is this ruddy kid, this, you know, he's out, and he's, he's a strange one. He's out there all the time watching sheep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's, so his father overlooks him. So David had to be greater than his father's disdain for him. So finally, after Samuel goes through and he wants to anoint all the people, he, he comes to, and he says, none of these boys, do you have one more? And they go, oh yeah, we got one. He's out there watching sheep bring him in. He's the little guy. And so Samuel brings him in, and he, he brings him before him, and God says to him, Samuel, this is the one who's going to be anointed king. So, stand up. I am not going to anoint you king, but I'm going to anoint you as God's anointed. I'm going to anoint you as God's anointed that his presence would be upon you, his presence would guide you and protect you as you go about your daily life that at this time doesn't seem too meaningful. But it's going to be meaningful. It's going to have a purpose because God is with you. And be seated. So, we all know the story of David and Goliath. If you don't, pay attention. <laughs> What happens with David and Goliath is David, you know, the king Saul has been fighting the Philistines. Now, if we can, we, we not, I don't, we're not used to these types of battles. Uh, the Philistines are on one mountain, one high place. There's a big valley in the middle, and Israel's on the other mountain. And what they have is this giant, he's the, 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 the scripture says he's nine foot, he's nine, foot nine inches tall. He's a big, he's a big dude. <laughs> he's even bigger than you. <laughs> he's nine foot nine inches tall. And every day, morning and night, for 40 days, this guy comes out of the camp and he makes fun of the, the Israelites and he makes fun of their God. Well, on the 40th day, for some odd reason, Jesse, David's father, sends David from watching the sheep to the fight, to the battle, to where they're having this battle. So they get to this place, and David hears how that Goliath is insulting God. 
He's not just fighting against the nation. He's insulting the God that David has in, inside of him. And he says, this can't happen. And he finds out that if, if the guy who kills Goliath, he gets to marry the king's daughter. <laughs> he doesn't have to pay taxes anymore in his land, and he gets money. So he's not too dumb of a ruddy kid, all right? But anyhow, his main concern was Goliath is insulting God. So what happens is Saul hears, because he's looking for anybody to go fight Goliath, 40 days, no one in the army, in the entire army of Israel, no one has stepped forward to do battle with this 9-foot, nine 9-inch nine guy. I mean, he's so big that his armor that he wears on his chest is 125 pounds. His mesh that he wears on his chest is 125 pounds. The this tip of his, steer, uh, of his spear weighs... Um, what is it here? 15 pounds. 16 pounds. So he has a spear. The head of it weighs that much. That much. So he's a big, brawling, war, <laughs> war guy. He's been trained since he was a little kid. So Saul hears that David wants him to, that uh, he, he should do the fight. Well, what happens is, David hears all this. He's talking about it. Eliab, David's old, oldest brother, he sees David talking to the other people, and he says to um, David, in this verse 28, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle." Eliab is his older brother. Do you know sometimes the people you know and that are over you relationally will try and discourage you from being what God wants you to be because they don't think you can do it? Eliab, David's older brother, says, you are a ruddy kid and you have left those few sheep your job is to take care of those few sheep out there in the wilderness. And you're not there. You're here just wanting to look at the battle. And the key, I think, is verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> it means that Eliab has been constantly being his critic. So here's his oldest brother, rather being in his biggest encouragement, we have to come overcome people who are relationally better than us, bigger than us, that we hold in high regard. You know, and it can be anybody that in a relational experience, friends, friends, family member, whomever, would kind of have that don't do this, you can't do this attitude. So if we're going to be successful and be queen, <laughs> no, go through the process, we have to be able to overcome those who are relationally bigger than us. Two, King Saul heard about David, and, and so he, he was so anxious to have somebody go fight Goliath, David says, I'm going to do it. And they said, well, you can't do this. You're too little. You've never been here. Because David said, I fought the lion and the bear. You see, whenever you're out watching sheep, David was, became an expert marksman with his slingshot. And slingshots... At those days, they could come out of the sling at like 180 miles an hour, almost the same velocity as a bullet coming out of a gun. 
So David said, I fought the lion and the bear. They came and attacked my flock, and I took them out with the slingshot and took the animal from their mouth. Killed the lion and the bear. So Saul says, you're the guy. He dresses him in his armor. (laughs) So here's this ruddy kid. He's probably 15 to 18, somewhere in there. About your guy's age. And here's Saul, this big guy. He's all got all of his armor on him. He can't move. And David says, this isn't who I am. This is people who are over us positionally. They have a greater position. They ha- they're the boss. They're people who kind of run the place, and they say, you got to do this, you got to do this. And inside you say, this isn't who I am. This isn't, this isn't me. And so David, ha- David had the strength of character to say, this is not who I am. So he took off, the, took off the armor. He did two things. He grabbed his staff, and he went out to the battlefield. His staff is what he used not only to walk and be with the sheep. His staff represented his family history. Because often a person's staff had, they would be able to, you know, rub their finger over it and go down and and know the history of Israel and the history that was in their family. David took the history of who he was with him. So what does he do then? He goes out into the valley and he sees Goliath. Goliath sees him. Do you think Goliath ran? (laughs) No. He says, um, verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Yeah, right, kid. (laughs) You're going to take my head. So anyhow, what does David do? He goes, okay, got this big valley. David goes down into the valley, and in the brook he picks up five stones, five smooth stones. Goliath comes out, and he's yelling at him and calling him all you know, kinds of names and insults God and whatever, and David takes a sling, and he takes a stone. He does his thing, and he runs. He runs to the battle. God doesn't have us run away from. He has us face the difficulties in our life. Because he knows with God in our life, we can't be crushed. There are difficulties, but those difficulties will not crush us because God is in us. And you see, it's still sealed. (laughs) God is with us, and we're sealed by his spirit. The oil that I anointed you with is a symbol of God's presence. There's nothing magical about it. It's, it's, it's a symbol of God and the Holy Spirit being upon us and with us. And so David charged into battle, took his sling, and he left it roll and hit Goliath right in the forehead and knocked him cold. Fell to the ground, David took out Goliath's own sword and chopped off his head. Yay! <laughs> and guess what happened? The armies of Israel charged the armies of the Philistines and drove them back to their country and then they came back and looted all the, all, the, all the goods that they had brought with them to the battle. 
So we find that there's one other thing. I told you this is, this is a, putting all my goods together for a story. We have here three, six, nine lines here, three, six, nine dots. And the challenge is to connect all these dots with four lines without lifting up your pen. Now, what happens is, normally we look at this and we say, okay, one, two, three, four, this one's not touched. One, two, three, four, this one's not touched. You can't do it. You can't possibly connect all those with four lines. Now, Esther became queen. It was something outside of her control. David becomes king because God, outside of David's control, David had, instead of David, he was a man after God's own heart. It, we often interpret that, that God liked David better than anybody else. No, David sought God more than all the others. He was, a, he was a man, a young man, after God's heart. He wanted to do what was pleasing to God. It is not a guilt trip. It is a loving relationship in which he understands, he begins to understand who God is and understand the scriptures and understand what's going on. And so we look at this and we say, this can't be done. But you see, God doesn't have us in a box. God wants us to be outside the box. And so as we look at this and we go down here, oh, outside the box. Two, three, four. <laughs> four lines. What did we do? We moved away from what we thought were the limitations. In your life, there are a lot of limitations you will put upon yourself. There's a lot of limitations that people will put on you. But you know, with God's anointing and his presence, we will not be crushed, but we will be able to live and understand life from outside the box. And we're not going to be contained by what other people think or say. We're going to be blessed by God to take us to the places he wants us to be. So, this is a very special time because it not only marks your graduation, but it marks a time in which you're not going to be held to the box. It's always interesting. Do the people, would, when you're in high school and stuff, they say, stand in line, okay? Get in line, do what you're supposed to do. Don't make, don't make any noise. Don't do anything outside, just stand in line. Okay, now you go out and you're graduated, go to college, what do they tell you? Get out, of, get out of line, express yourself. <laughs> and so now you're called to get out of the box. And we don't know what that box is yet, but you will. You'll know it. And when you really feel squeezed with life and temptations and wrong people and things, you'll be able to be like Esther, to step away from all the things that you know and step into the idea that God has a, a royal place for us. And for David, he was God. He was a man after God's heart. He loved God. And there was never a king in Israel greater than David. You don't know. 
you have come to the kingdom, to life and to this place and time for such a time as this. Stand. Give me your hands. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your blessing, your calling, your anointing, that you watch over us and that you keep us. And Lord, we know this is just the beginning. And we know, Lord, that you will guide and protect. Hold us close to you. Let your spirit be upon our hearts and minds. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.